Sunday to you. It's a big day. It's a good day to be here. We are thrilled that every one of you is here. We're going to talk about a big story today, the story of Easter. And maybe some of you show up at church on Easter and you kind of check out as soon as you come in because you think, I get this. I've heard this story before. I know how it's going to go. And so if that's where you come today, I really feel led to challenge you, to challenge myself, everybody here, that maybe we'd take this time to kind of let God open our eyes wider to the wonder of what the Easter story is. My name is James Green, and I'm the teaching pastor here at Cape Bible Chapel. Maybe some of you know me. I assume a lot of you do. Maybe some of you don't know me. To some of you, I might be a stranger. You're at least close to a stranger. Maybe you've seen me before, but you don't really know me. I feel pretty well known in this place, really even in this town. My wife and I have lived here in Cape Girardeau our whole lives. And so I kind of think that people know me, but I had an experience a couple days ago which kind of makes you question, do people really know me? I was feeding my Diet Coke addiction over at the roads across the street, and this guy walks in, and I know him. I don't know him well, but I know him. He was a Young Life kid years ago when I did that. I know his dad. I know his mom. I know his two brothers. I know him a little bit. So I was glad to see him, and he walked in, and I said, hey, how you doing? And I called him by name. He said, hey, I'm doing great. How are you doing, Steve? Awkward. <laughs> you know, so there I am. Then I'm kind of stuck. You know, what do you do in a situation like that? I was surprised he got my name wrong, but now I have to make that choice. Do I embarrass him a little bit, or do I just let it go? And normally I'm one to go ahead and stumble into that and try and get it out of the way because it's just better. I was in a meeting here at the church the other day with some of my buddies, and one of the guys blew his nose. And when he got done blowing, you know, there was still something there. <laughs> like just kind of hanging there. And I don't think it was what you thought it was. I think it was maybe like a piece of tissue or something, but like it was just there, you know. So I grabbed a tissue and I handed it to him and I said, I think you got a little more work to do there, big boy. You still got something hanging, you know. And, and so he blew it and he got rid of it. And, and he was grateful because, real honestly, he didn't have to sit through the rest of the meeting with everybody looking at him kind of weird and him not knowing why. Let me just throw this in for free today. Normally, it's better to just address stuff like that, get it out of the way. So here I was in my story over at the roads, and I got to make this call. Do I say something or not? And this time, I chose not. I thought, I haven't seen this guy in years, probably won't run into him again. I'm going to let this one go. But here's the deal, and I found out pretty quickly on this. I had an audience there at the Rhodes. I am pretty well known over there. I'm the pastor of this Rhodes over across the street. And, and so this guy's talking to me, and he waves goodbye. And as he goes out, he calls me by the wrong name again, real loud. All right, see you, Steve. Have a good day. And so I go up to the counter to pay for my Diet Coke, and the guy who's waiting to check me out, he's ready. He's grinning. He goes, got what you need, Steve? <laughs> Everybody behind the counter was laughing. They thought that was so funny. See, sometimes we think we know something. We're pretty sure we know the whole story, but if we take a quiz, maybe we'd be surprised. We don't really know as much as we thought. And I don't know this for sure, but if somebody had gone up to my buddy that walked in there and shown him a picture of me and said, do you know this guy? He would have said, oh, yeah, sure. He used to work with my mom. His name is Steve. <laughs> would have been eye-opening for somebody to stop him and tell him, you know, his name is James. <laughs> maybe we're here today and we have some background on the Easter story. We understand that Jesus died on Friday. And we hear people call that Good Friday, and we're not even really sure why that is. Well, here's the deal. The only reason we can call that Good Friday is because Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose again. 
He was resurrected on Sunday. It's what we celebrate today, Easter Sunday. But maybe we've never really wrestled with what that means in our life. What Christ's death on the cross accomplished for us and how we're supposed to apply it. So let's do that today. Let's talk a little bit about what we know about the Easter story. And then let's dig in a little bit and see if God won't open our eyes up a little more to what's really going on. Let's start with this because this is crucial. There was a man named Jesus Christ. He lived like nobody else ever lived. He loved like nobody else ever loved. He taught like nobody else ever taught. And this guy, Jesus, he had this incredible heart for people who were kind of on the sidelines, on the margins. He had a heart for lost people and sick people and forgotten poor people and despised rich people. There's one big word kind of lumps all those folks in together, sinners. Jesus had this amazing love and care and concern for sinners, and he still does. And on what we call Good Friday, this great love, his compassion, his actions got him arrested and beaten and mocked and crucified. He was nailed to a cross, and he died. And on Saturday, there was this great silence because Jesus had entered into death for me and for you But then, on Sunday, death lost. The Bible says death lost its sting. The grave lost its victory. What does that mean? For us, so much of the time, we think, well, death's the end, right? For human people, that's it. When we're done. No. No, it's really not. And if we follow Jesus, if we have a relationship with God that's by grace through faith in Jesus, then because of what happened On Easter Sunday, if we're Christ followers, then death is defeated. Sin has lost. The tomb was empty. Shame died. And hope for all of us was resurrected because of Jesus. So here we are today, 2,000 years later, and everything can be different. Individually, how we view joy and suffering, how we view peace and trials, how we view life and death, that can be different if... (laughs) We walk with our eyes wide open. So if you have a Bible with you today, that's great. If you don't, you can borrow one of ours. There should be one in the pew there in front of you. And we'll actually have these verses up on the screen as well. But join me, if you would, in the Gospel of Luke. Luke's the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 24. And we're going to look through verses 13 to 35. And what we're going to see here is a story about two people who had their eyes open wide on Easter Sunday. So we're going to start in verse 13 and see how this unfolds. The story says, And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they're talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Their eyes weren't open yet. So here's the background. That day was today. That day was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It's what we celebrate this Easter Sunday, that Jesus conquered sin and death. So these two people are walking along, and their topic of conversation is current events. They're talking about the whirlwind of stuff that's been going on these last few days. Maybe they're even talking about the last few years that Jesus has been doing public ministry. Now, who are these two people? We don't know for sure. We're going to find out in just a minute, 
One of them is named Cleopas, or maybe Clopas. If we had time, we could look in the Gospel of John, and we'd see that one of the women who was present at the cross when Jesus was crucified was a woman named Mary, and she's identified as Mary, the wife of Clopas. So maybe this is a couple. Maybe this is Clopas and Mary. Or maybe it's a guy, Cleopas, and one of his buddies. We truly don't know. But they're walking along, and there's a lot going on around Jerusalem. This is Easter Sunday for them, but they don't know it yet. Because somehow, Jesus is holding off on having them recognize him. For some reason, their eyes just aren't open yet. And so to them, a guy who is a stranger shows up and he starts walking with them. Now, it doesn't say how long he's tagging along with them because they're really engrossed in their conversation. But finally, Jesus jumps in and he asks this question in verse 17. What are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And this got a response. They stood still, looking sad. So their dialogue is interrupted and they stop walking and they're really down. Because they don't know yet that death didn't win. And maybe it's because they're so sad, they aren't terribly polite to their new traveling companion. Here's what Cleopas says in verse 18. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Cleopas basically says, what, do you live in a cave or something? Have you never heard of Jesus? He's a pretty big deal. Maybe you should pay attention to what's going on. And here, because Jesus could get sarcastic every now and again, he could have really had some fun if he wanted to. He could have said, why, yes, I have heard of him. I'm him. I was there. I was at the cross. I was at the tomb. See these? It's me. But he doesn't do that. He's got something else planned. He's polite here. And so he just asked, what things? He's playing dumb because he wants to hear what their account of these things are. Now, if you're engaged in the story at all, I think you've got to stop and ask, how come they don't know it's Jesus? What does Jesus do to prevent them from recognizing him? I mean, I know there was no internet back in the day, but Jesus was a big deal. He was the current event. The things he had been doing were game-changing, life-changing. His actions challenged tradition and culture and the very core of the way people lived. So you'd think they might have a clue as to who this was. Now, to help us wrap our mind around this, I want to show a little video clip. And I just want to say, this is such a pale, pale comparison to what it must have been like to be on the road to Emmaus. But I remember seeing this last year, and it really struck a chord with me. There's a guy who pitches for the New York Mets. His name is Matt Harvey. And last year, Matt Harvey had a phenomenal season, so good that he was selected to start the Major League Baseball All-Star game. And the game was being played at City Field in New York on his home field. And a lot of people on the Mets would say, oh, Matt Harvey, he's my favorite player. And and so Jimmy Fallon does this deal where he sends Matt Harvey out into New York to interview people about Matt Harvey. And they don't recognize him. Now, I don't know why they don't recognize him. I mean, honestly, maybe they're excited. It's the camera in their face. or, Or maybe it's that he's not wearing his uniform. I don't know what it is. But it's pretty comical to watch this. So we're going to see this. We're going to see Matt Harvey interview some people about Matt Harvey. Tomorrow is the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, and it's being played right here in New York uh, at City Field. It's amazing. And get this, uh, the starter for the National League team was just announced. It's New York City's own Mets pitcher, Matt Harvey, is going to be the starting pitcher. So psyched. 
This guy's taken the league by a storm, and now he's an all-star. Uh, but the funny thing is, uh, since it's only his first full season, not many people know who Matt Harvey is yet, uh, even right here in New York. Uh, and even if they do know his name, a lot of them wouldn't be able to recognize him, even if they were standing right next to him and talking to him. I'll show you what I mean, because this morning, we sent Matt Harvey himself <laughs> out to the streets of New York to see what New York has thought about Matt Harvey. Take a look. Hey, I'm Matt Harvey, all-star pitcher for the New York Mets. And I'm here to find out what New Yorkers think about Matt Harvey. Do you know anything about Matt Harvey? Who is Matt Harvey? <laughs> he pitches for the uh, New York Mets. Who's your favorite player on the Mets? Mets? Uh, you know, Harvey's doing great lately, but still got to stick to the old favorite, David Wright. If I do have to pick my favorite, I'd have to say it would probably be Lucas Duda. I just really enjoy seeing him play. What about Matt Harvey? Um, you know, he's a stud. So, he... Thank you. Long-time Mets fan? Yeah, since I was little. Yep, Mets fan all the way. Who, uh, who's your favorite player? Oh, dude, Harvey, man. Really? If he was standing here right now, what kind of advice would you give him? Uh, I, don't, I would think I would just say keep being awesome. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's it. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it. Yeah, man, thanks a lot. Oh, absolutely. Thanks. Yeah. Wait, yeah. I love that there at the end, that realization. Dude, it's you. You're Matt Harvey. Folks in our story are going to have a moment like that here in just a minute. We jump back to the text. Jesus now is interviewing these two people. And his question is, what's been going on? What's in the news? And here's their reply. Well, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of our God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, this is the third day since these things have happened. He died on a Friday, then Saturday, now here we are on Sunday. They say, but also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they'd also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. So they're telling Jesus their story. They explained going to the tomb and not finding a corpse like you would expect body of Jesus wasn't there. But our travelers still don't get it. They say they'd seen a vision of angels explaining that Jesus was alive, but that doesn't seem to be enough to convince them. And I think the reason is this. I think they were a little too wrapped up in their own story. They had a way that they'd wanted all this to play out, and the key piece of evidence to me that they were really thinking about themselves is in verse 21 there, where they say, but we were hoping. I mean, that's the heart of all our stories, isn't it? It's always a solid question to ask ourselves, what are we putting our hope in? We grow up, and as young kids, we hope to be baseball players or ballerinas or doctors or lawyers. We aspire to something. As we get a little bit older, we get maybe a little more realistic. We hope for an incredible husband, an amazing wife. We hope for a wonderful family. You get to be about my age, you start somehow hoping you win the child lottery and one of your kids becomes wildly successful. They hire you to be their financial manager. 
The funny thing happens sometimes on the path of hope. The young couple says, we were hoping for a wonderful family, but then the doctor said we can't have children. You're a parent like me. You're, you're hoping for incredible success for your kids, but then they start wandering down a path that you would have never chosen for them. They're running down a path filled with heartache. They can't see it. You can. But then. I was hoping to provide financially for my family, but then I lost my job. See, we all have a story, don't we? These two people on the road to Emmaus, they have a story too. They have hopes. And the events that have unfolded in the world around them have dashed these hopes. Now, they've already shared what their hope was in verse 21. They were hoping that Jesus was going to be their redeemer. Jesus was going to save Israel. He was going to rescue them. But then he died. He was crucified. We were hoping he was going to give us a happy ending to our story. But now our story's gone all wrong. And they don't tell their whole story there. So let me tell it for them because it's important. Because it relates to my story and to your story. These two people were part of a, a group of people called Israel, the nation of Israel. And in God's story, Israel has this special calling. The people of Israel, they were supposed to lead lives that were not all about themselves. They were supposed to be servants. Scripture calls them the people of God. They were supposed to be the ambassadors for hope on this earth. But along the way, their story gets really messed up. If you look throughout history, the story of Israel doesn't look much like hope. It really just looks like suffering at face value. The Israelites are oppressed in Egypt under Pharaoh. They're, they're slaves. And really then, from then on, it's just one oppression after another. Over a period of many, many years, they're ruled by Syria, and then Babylon, and then Persia, and then Greece, and then Rome. That's just an overview. But then, something amazing happens. Jesus Christ comes on the scene. And for sure, Israel thought, this is it. <laughs> this is the fulfillment of our hopes. Jesus is going to redeem our story. Now we will really be the people of God. Jesus is going to lead this powerful movement. He'll overthrow all the oppression, defeat all the enemies, and now the nation of Israel will be powerful and prosperous. You know, the kind of things we hope for. Jesus shows up, and the people believe he's going to have a kingdom because he said that he would. Now, he wasn't trying to mislead them. He really wasn't. It's just that their eyes weren't totally open. Maybe they just heard what they wanted to hear. And so they think Israel's king will basically rule the world. All of a sudden, this is sounding like a great ending to their story. But then, Jesus died. And that is why these two travelers are so sad. And it's not even just that Jesus died. It's the way that he died the inglorious way that he died in this crucifixion, that was for criminals. That was Rome's way of saying, nope, <laughs> this is not the Messiah. So now they're trudging home. They've been up all night, maybe several nights. They've heard these weird news flashes. Some women went to the burial site. Jesus wasn't there. Visions of an angel saying something crazy. It doesn't matter. We're just done. We are going home. Why? Because they've lost hope. And so now it's Jesus' turn to not be terribly polite. Look at verse 25 and 26. This stranger walking with them kicks him while they're down. He exclaims, 
O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. He says, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then to enter into his glory? I read and teach from the NASB. It's the New American Standard Bible. I think it's a great and just very accurate translation of the original languages that the Bible was written in. But here's one verse where I think they stretched it a little bit. Because the original Greek text doesn't specify that this is two guys. If you read the ESV, it translates this, O foolish ones. Net Bible reads, You foolish people. Again, we don't know for sure who this other person is with Cleopas. It's really not that important. Here's what is important. They have a story. And they share part of it with Jesus, and it looks like he calls them a couple fools. That's not nice, is it? But let me explain what's really going on here, because let's be honest, this happens. This happens all the time. It has happened to me. I would bet it has happened to you. We think we know what's going on around us, and then we get the whole story. And when we do, then a light bulb comes on. All of a sudden, we realize things that we didn't know because now our eyes are open. I heard a story one time about an amazing older couple. They were childhood sweethearts, and they got married, and they'd been married for over 65 years. Everybody loved them, this incredible couple. They were so well-respected. They raised this wonderful family. They got along so well, almost never argued, incredibly close. One of the deals was they kept no secrets from each other, except for one thing. Very early on in their marriage, the woman told her husband, I have a shoebox in the top of our closet, and I want you to never, ever ask me about it. He thought that was a little odd, you know, but, but they were young and in love, and they get along so well. And so, honestly, he just kind of forgot about it. We fast forward a bunch of years, and then one day this lovely woman, she ends up in the hospital. She's very ill. The doctors say she's not going to make it. She won't recover, so they better get their affairs in order. Well, the husband goes home, and he sets about doing that, and wouldn't you know, he comes across that shoebox in the closet. He remembered years ago, his wife instructed him never to ask her about it. And now it's nearing the end. So he gets the shoebox down and he opens it up. And in it, there are three little crocheted dolls, like little handmade children's dolls, and a stack of cash, just a huge wad of cash. And so he counts it, it's over $75,000. So he goes up to the hospital to ask his dear wife about it. And she says, let me explain. When we were first married, my mother told me the secret to happy marriage is never to argue. So she taught me how to crochet, and she said, if I ever get angry with you, I should just keep quiet and crochet one of these little dolls. The little old man was so moved, he started to cry. If it was possible, he fell even more in love with his wife at that time. 65 years of marriage, just three times she was angry with him. He says to her, honey, that makes me so happy. I just can't describe how warm I feel to you right now. That explains those three dolls. Thank you. What about all the money? It's just so much. And she replied, oh, that. Well, I have a booth down at the craft fair, and every time the dolls wouldn't fit in the box, I'd sell them for $5 a piece. Now, I love that story. <laughs> Because sometimes we think we know everything that's going on. And then we find out there's something really important that we're missing. This is what's happening with Jesus 
and the folks on the road. Jesus calls them foolish because they think they know their own story, but they've left out the most important part. So he reminds them, was it not necessary for the Christ to have these things happen? He says, you're looking at the crucifixion thing all wrong. You think that Jesus going to the cross is the end, like he was defeated. Jesus says in verse 27, no, let me tell you your whole story. Let me correctly tell you how this story goes. It says, then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Wouldn't you love to have been there for this conversation? Jesus says, let me tell you your story a little differently than you tell it. Because you're missing a part of it. Because part of it comes from the heart of God. And he sees things differently than we do. So Jesus, over this walk, explains the story of his people. And of oppression and trials. And how it's not all about oppression and trials, but about joy that comes through suffering. And we can know that because the main character in the story is this joyful, suffering God who created the people and wrote the story. He's joyful over the people and he ends up suffering over the people because the world has gone all wrong. Now here today in this reality, we know from our experience that that's true. But sometimes we have a hard time calling it out. The Bible doesn't have that problem. The Bible's very clear on this says the core of why the world has gone wrong is sin. And so God chooses this people, this nation of Israel. That's going to be the folks he fully reveals himself to. They're supposed to know who he is and understand what he desires for their lives. And so he gets the prophets to come along and describe to them what the world would look like without sin. But there is sin in the world. And so Israel doesn't get it. And instead, they buy into this notion that God's people need to be great, like all the nations that have oppressed them. They think God's people will be great when they're in charge, when they have great power and a huge army and vast empires and great wealth, like all the folks who'd ruled over them. It's a pretty common story for us, isn't it? How do we measure things like that? Being rich, being successful. It's when we compare our stuff to stuff that other people have, right? Well, God's people get caught in this trap. They've been oppressed for years. They've been suffering, and their eyes weren't really opening to what all the suffering was about. They never saw it as consequences for their own disobedience. Now, in the midst of this, there was a small group of people, basically the prophets and this tiny remnant who truly got the story. They understood that they were supposed to be faithful to God in the midst of their suffering. So the big story is God created everything And he loves us so much, but sin has messed everything up. Now the story's getting confused. And here it gets crazy. God steps into the story. God and the person of Jesus Christ steps into the story. And the prophets have been telling this, but the vast majority of folks listening were just blind to it. And now here they are on the road. And so the stranger asks these two travelers, are you sure you got the story right? What if this suffering you as a people have gone through? What if the suffering and death that Jesus has endured is actually part of the story? What if it's not the story getting messed up? It's how the story's supposed to go. What if the events of the last three days actually confirm Jesus' identity? 
And the way he's telling this story, light bulbs are coming on for our couple here. They're hearing the story in a brand new way as Jesus explains it. So they've been walking and they get close to home. This would have taken several hours of walking and talking. And now they're not ready for the stranger to leave. Now they're on fire. They want to hear more. But Jesus acts like he's going to go keep walking. So in verse 29, they urged him saying, Stay with us, for it's getting towards evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he goes in to stay with them. And when he reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it. Breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. He vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? While he was explaining the scriptures to us? When he told us our story? Now their eyes are open. Now they can see. The story is not just that in the person of Jesus Christ, God suffers. No, it's also that in the person of Jesus Christ, God wins. God triumphs. Jesus defeats sin. He defeats guilt. He defeats confusion about our story. He defeats death so that for us today, whatever road we're walking on, whatever situations we're dealing with where we've lost hope, we can know. We can see that sin and death don't win. They don't get the last word because this stranger who was Jesus was crucified by Rome, but he did not stay dead. He was raised up by God from the dead in the greatest act of power in the history of man. And when that happened, every hope of every heart in this room, in this world, can now be raised up as well. That's the real story. The penalty for sin is death, and Jesus paid it in full in my place. For anyone and for everyone who responds to this story by placing their trust in Him. So before the two folks walked with our stranger, they were down. They were defeated. They lost hope because they only saw their side of the story. But after they heard Jesus tell them their story in all its beauty, in all its glory, then their eyes were open. They could truly see how the story was supposed to go. And we know this from that glorious recognition that while Jesus was telling them their story, the way it was supposed to go, says their hearts were burning within them. I walked the first 26 years of my life blind. Didn't have my eyes open. I'd heard the Easter story many times before. I'll be honest, many times sitting in this church as a young kid, and I didn't get it because I never heard the whole story, and it never radically changed the way I lived my life because I kept telling the story the way I wanted it to turn out. But then, because of God's grace and mercy, one time in the fall of 1995, a guy told me the Easter story like I'd never heard it before. He explained the big picture of God's story. And at that time, when he shared it, it was different because my heart was on fire. My eyes were open, and Jesus drew me to himself. I grasped how much God loves me. So much so that he sent his son to die in my place, pay the wages for my sin, and then to be raised again, 
to defeat sin and death and establish an eternal kingdom that will never end, and I could be there. I am going to be there. It was guaranteed the moment that I responded to that story by placing my faith and my trust in Jesus. And it radically changed my life. It changed who I was going to marry. It changed my profession. It changed everything about me from the inside out. And I knew at that time, for the rest of my life on this earth, I was going to have to be about telling people that story. Well, that's what happens to our friends on the road in Luke 24. Forget how defeated they'd been. Forget the fact they'd been up all night. Forget the fact they'd just trekked seven miles. What do they do? Look at verse 33. And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found, gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, and they were talking about the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. Well, our couple comes up. They begin to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. They're sitting there in Emmaus, and they say to themselves, we had the story wrong. We'd been hoping for an earthly king who would lead us to rule over the folks who had oppressed us. We thought the suffering was just punishment. We had no idea the trials were supposed to teach us. we got to go tell this story, and so they do. And that's where we're going to leave them, in Jerusalem, to tell their story. Because with the time we have left here today, I want to ask you about your story. What's going on in your current events? While we're, you're walking down the road, are you asking that question, where's God in my story? Are you saying, man, I'd hope this was the time that I wasn't going to fall to that temptation, that peer pressure, my addiction, whatever it was, but you fell and you feel defeated. You feel alone. Here's the application for today. Here's the reality that we live in, honestly. Everybody gets to choose what story they're going to live by. If you don't choose to believe the Easter story, the world will give you a story to follow. You already know what it is. You've heard some version of it before. It's the success story. Do everything you can to be successful. Try to get all the money you can, all the power you can, all the fame you can, all the titles you can, all the rank you can. You know what the problem with that story is? Eventually, you will die. And if death is at the end of your story, then all that money, all that fame, all those titles, all those business cards, they go down in the ground with you. Is that the way you want your story to end? There are other stories the world tells. They also tell this one. There is no big story. There is no real meaning to this life. Anybody who tells you, they're just blowing smoke. They'll tell you that you're here today by some freak cosmic accident. You hang around on this planet for a little while, and then you're gone, the end. Is that really what we think the story is? This is just my opinion, but I honestly believe almost nobody buys that story. Because at face value, because of what I said earlier, Almost everybody's story starts with hope. We hope for things. We're putting our hope in something. We hope for something bigger and better and grander than what we can come up with on our own. We may not want to admit that there's a God, but I don't think we truly want to believe that there isn't. So what about this? Maybe God has you here today in this church to hear this story. 
told by someone who may be a stranger to you, to open your eyes, set your heart on fire inside you. Because for over 2,000 years now, this is what Jesus has been doing. He's been walking along beside us, and he's been taking our story and weaving it into his. I don't know what your story is. I just know that you have one. Because you're a person and because you live on this planet, I'm confident in saying at some point in time, it didn't turn out like you'd hoped. Would you let me tell you one last story today? You're not here by accident. You were created by the God of the universe who loves you and cares for you and cares for your story more than you can possibly conceive. The fact that you may think your story is messed up does not turn God off, does not make God run away because he has a heart for those of us with the messed up stories. He understands the problem of sin because he's the solution. He knows that sin makes us turn away from him. He knows that that makes us want to try and fix things on our own. But the reality is we can't. Come back next week as a church family. We're studying the book of Galatians. That's what we're talking about. We can't save ourselves. Jesus is the only one who can save us. And for you, part of your story is God put you here today. And this can be the day where you realize I can't save myself. This can be the day where your heart is burning within you and your eyes are wide open on Easter Sunday. We're going to close our service by taking communion together. We're going to take the bread and the cup just like the people who walked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And just like that act of Jesus taking the bread and praying for it and breaking it was the thing that led them to be able to recognize him, to see Jesus in their midst, That's what the Lord's Supper is supposed to do for all of us. Lord's Supper is supposed to remind us of what God did for us in Jesus. It's supposed to remind us of Christ's sacrifice. His body crushed and crucified. His blood spilled. That was part of the story. It's the most important part. See, Jesus wasn't forced to go on the cross. He wasn't captured. He volunteered. Because it was the only way to make possible for God to have the kind of relationship with his creation that he desires to have before sin messed it up. So as we take communion together, Scripture instructs us to examine our hearts, confess our sins, be right with God. So as we do that, let me throw this question in the back of your mind to think about, what are we putting our hope in this Easter Sunday? Is it in the God who loves us and gave himself up for us? Or is it in money or fame or power or honestly nothing at all? Maybe things are going great for you, and that's fantastic. Maybe right now your heart is filled with gratitude and thanks. Take this time to tell God that is wonderful. Maybe right now your heart is on fire. It's burning within you because you recognize this hope that we have in Christ. And this time, tell God, that's fantastic. If you have a relationship with God that's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, this ordinance is for you. It's the Lord's Supper. It's certainly not Cape Bible Chapel's Supper. Jeff's going to come, and he's going to play some music. We're going to have this time to examine our hearts. And when you're ready, come and, and take of the elements. They're at the tables all around you.
you're sitting near somebody who would have a hard time getting to the tables, you'd want to serve them, that'd be great. Wonderful opportunity to do that. And if you're here with us today, and you're not exactly sure why you came to church this Sunday, if you're here and the walk that you're on, the road that you're traveling has taken some turns, and you're on a path now where you're carrying a lot of pain, please take this time and recognize there's somebody walking alongside you on that road. Maybe they're a stranger to you. You don't recognize them, but they're there to tell you the Easter story. They're there to tell you the story of grace and love and forgiveness and reconciliation and of a life where death is not the end. They want to tell you about a life where Jesus has defeated sin and death. And when you respond in faith, your eyes can be wide open and you can walk with him. That life can be yours today by simply telling God, I want to walk down your road. I want Jesus to be my Savior and my friend. I want to live in your life and your hope forever. Let me pray. Daddy, thank you for the Easter story. I pray for us as a, as a body, as the, the folks sitting here right now, Lord, we'll, we'll have eyes wide open to understand Easter's so much more than eggs and a nice ham and a good nap later and, and, and f- things that are fun. God, but your Easter story is about love. It's about hope. It's about you paying the price to reconcile us to yourself. God, thank you for the greatest story ever told. We give this time and this day to you. We love you. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen.